In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Happy new church year, by the way. I know the church does things backwards from the rest of the world, and that's totally okay. Celebrate early. Celebrate often. The divine service is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Knowing that, you'd want to be here. Most don't, though. Now, what if you received a postcard in the mail that said, Coming to St. Peter's Lutheran Church this Sunday and Monday, too, Jordan Love. And he would stroll in and sit right in the front pew here. Jordan's probably not a Lutheran. That's probably why he'd sit up front. Or what if we said, coming soon to St. Peter's Lutheran Church, in a special appearance, one day only, Taylor Swift. Oh, man. You'd probably have to get here early to get a good seat. You'd probably invite all of your friends to be here as well. There might be a line outside every door. They might get here two days in advance to make sure they get the good seat. And we might even sell concessions and get a cut of the merchandise sales. But then again, maybe the presence of someone famous might keep you away. You might think about that weekend and say, yep, going to Portage to church that weekend. I'm going to watch the live stream instead. Don't want to fight it. Maybe for you, Jesus' simple presence in word and water and bread and wine is enough. Because really, that's all we have in the church are those simple earthly things. But what authority they have. Your sins are forgiven. You have new life in Jesus. You're rescued from the burning lake of fire. Now... Either one of these famous people or any other famous person. Oh, if you're not into pop culture or sports ball, Governor Evers will be here next weekend. Well, that might get a certain group of people. But again, we might have some that'll say, yep, going to Portage next weekend. I don't think Jordan Love is going to be here next weekend because he's playing football. And well, Taylor was in Green Bay last night. Is that two hours away? And that close enough for us, I guess? One thing, though, cannot be doubted. And that is the words of the prophet Zechariah that Matthew says in the Holy Gospel from chapter 21. Behold, your king is coming to you. This king makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I know it's another backward thing. Like I said, the church does a lot of left-handed backward things. On the first Sunday in Advent, we get, what, Palm Sunday? And we'll hear it again, coming soon. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, going into the holy city, Jerusalem, not on a steed, but on a donkey. And where is the spoils of this victor king's victory? Shouldn't they be behind him somewhere? All of the minions of the devil, including the devil himself, fast bound in chains, leading the way. This is a parade of one, beloved, the God-man. And he comes, not the way you and I want him to come. He comes the way he comes, humble, 
mounted on a donkey. No wonder then you and I often think lightly of what is happening in this house when our king comes to us. There is no crash, bam, alakazam. Now there is some pageantry in the ceremony, but compared to a Super Bowl halftime show, it's not really a lot to see. Or maybe even compared to the coronation that happened in England earlier this year. Now there's pageantry. So the temptation is there to jazz it up a little bit. To make the king's coming a little more of a show than of the giving of divine things under earthly things. Pastors and vicars especially are tempted to jazz up things in the pulpit. And yeah, I do drop pop culture references from time to time. I include colorful phrases. Some you've probably not heard because I'm from southern Illinois. We talk a little different back home and I just got back from there a few days ago. So I've got my quiver full of them. Sometimes I even use multiple languages from this pulpit. I've spoken German, I've spoken Greek, I've spoken Hebrew, probably a few other languages too. But even all of these things can go too far and become more of a comedy routine or a trivia night display than a proclamation that condemns sin and declares you forgiven in Jesus' blood and righteousness. The temptation is real. It's real for you too. There is a temptation not to be here. The king's coming among us is as comfortable as old leather. We know what's going to happen. A new church here begins again, and we know how it goes. Four Sundays in Advent, four Sundays in blue. Lighten up the candles till we get to the big lighting of the big candle in the middle of the Advent wreath. And then we get to the Christmas services. And then it's the post-Christmas drag that gets us into Epiphany. And we're marking time until Lent. We know the familiar stories of Lenten tide. We know tonight we get Palm Sunday. We know next week we get some end times fun. Then we get some John the Baptist. Then we get some Mary, some Joseph this year too. And then we get baby Jesus in the manger with the shepherds and the angels. John's prologue to his gospel on Christmas Day. Yeah, you know the routine, don't you? And you figure, well, I guess maybe this will be the year I don't need to hear Luke 2. We can just about guess how the sermon is going to sound from the readings that are read from the lectern. I want to introduce you to a guy who's now with Jesus, and he was at my previous congregation, and his name was Bob. Bob was a Dane, and he always fell asleep during the sermon. Always. And he knew it, and he warned me about it. Pastor, I'm going to close my eyes and take a nap. Well, why, Bob? Because I know what you're going to preach on every week. You do? Yes. Jesus. I've heard it before. He wasn't wrong, you know. We look at the tab out in the back of the service book when we stick the bulletin there, or we have the large print bulletin in front of us, and we're ticking along as if we're going through a list, and now you're about halfway through thinking, oh, halfway home. 
Pretty soon we'll come up here and eat and drink the precious body and blood of Jesus. You'll get a handshake from the participants and out the door you go. Don't hit a deer on the way home, please. Before you know it, our thoughts are just like the Pharisees when they saw Jesus enter Jerusalem in John's gospel. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world is going after him. But why? The crowds who went before him and after him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. There's another foreign word. Maybe you've forgotten what it means. It's a Semitic word and it's emphatic. Hosanna means save us. So when you make it emphatic, it's save us now. Save us now. The crowds of people who follow Jesus in this one-man parade believe that he is the one who will save him. But from what? What will he save these people? That is a question, isn't it? Jesus, for some, is a savior from the Roman Empire. He is the one who comes to put Caesar and his puppet right out of the way. Get Herod gone so that Jesus can sit in that chair. And then the Jews can be like we were a thousand years ago. The most powerful people on the planet. They had everything. The Lord blessed them. And then the Lord took it away. Because they didn't listen. Because they forgot. Because it all grew as comfortable as old leather. And they were ticking it off. Like boxes on a list. Beloved, Jesus is not a revolutionary. And neither is he the leader of the resistance. Jesus is the king who is coming to you. The king who dies for his people. The king who descends into hell with a sermon. Four words. Game over. I win. Jesus is the king who shows himself to Mary. To ten disciples in a locked room. As well as to a fellow named Cleopas and another disciple. As they are walking on the twilight way to Emmaus. And once they get to the inn and Jesus had had the little chat with them about everything that had happened up to that point, they said, well, it's supper time. Would you break bread and say the prayers? And Jesus does. And as soon as he breaks the bread, there's Jesus. And he's gone. Jesus is the victim and the victor. He's the ram caught in a thicket who takes the place of Isaac and Abraham's sacrifice. He's the one that goes all the way for you. That's the entirety of the church year for you in one fell swoop. Very familiar. We hear almost all of this in this house year after year after year. How then do we keep it from becoming like old leather? The same way that orchestra musicians treat the old war horses. They're ready to sit down and play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony 
and they've heard it a hundred thousand times and they just want to slop through it, but they can't because people have paid to watch them. So the director has to remind them, you must treat this piece of music as if the ink is not yet dry, fresh. That's how it is with Jesus and your salvation. You must consider it again as we begin a new church year as if the ink on the page of your Bible is not yet dry. The proclamation he gives of peace is right here and right now. You've heard about his first advent and now we're in the midst of his second advent, Sunday after Sunday, day after day. We ask ourselves again, do I believe it? Is it something to me, all you who sit here facing east? It is something to you or you wouldn't be here tonight. This something that goes on here is everything. This is your king coming to you. You are being served. No smorgasbord, no salad bar. He comes to you. And puts his forgiveness in your ear and in your mouth and before your eyes. Not on a donkey, but in your baptism, in his supper, in this sermon right now. This is the everything that keeps us holy and secure in the ark of the church until that third advent happens. The big one at the end of time. The last three words of the Apostles' Creed that we'll confess here in just a moment will come to pass. The life everlasting. All we have held dear in spite of the devil and the world and our own sinful nature that tries to deceive us becomes reality. It was always real, you see. Still is real right now. On the last day, we will see our king, not on a donkey, not under bread and wine that is his body and blood, but face to face, in the flesh, with wounds still fresh, calling the dead from their graves and bringing his children home to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's why we do not have a clock in this sanctuary. Time, you see, when we're in Jesus, is meaningless. After all, we got eternity coming. No need for your Apple Watch. Thanks be to God. Someone greater than any celebrity is coming. He is here. Right now, in little old Arlington, Jesus, and he is coming, coming according to the flesh. He is coming again. He is coming for you. He is relentless in his coming for you. And when you hear that word relentless, it does scare you a little, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, oh man, because you know the weight of your sin. And you do believe that, oh man, he's got to be coming like pastor's mom with the paint paddle in her hand. 
That's not the Jesus that's coming. The Jesus that's coming is coming humble. Coming to save you. Coming to say, move up higher. I got the best seat in the house waiting for you. That's Advent. Let every heart prepare him room. For Jesus exclusively dwells among sinners. To bring them forgiveness. To bring them peace. That's why we say, Hosanna. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.